We are going to uh, end our little mini-series, uh, what we called We Are Vineyard. It's our annual series, just to kind of talk about what we're all about as a church. And uh, so some of this may be a little repetitive, but hey, this is just to cast some vision as a church, what we want to be all about. So uh, for this year, we are focusing on discipleship. Uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus, uh, not just to say yes to him in a prayer, but what does it mean uh, to then, after someone gives their life to Jesus, even gets baptized, what does that mean for the rest of their life? And uh, what does that mean for all of us, that we're all on this journey of following Jesus? Now, I'm going to start off with this um, question. Uh, I want you to raise your hand. Has anybody done those, like, uh, DNA tests to figure out their ancestry, like Ancestry.com, 23, anybody done those? Like five of you, okay, all right? This may not work, but all right. Uh, but, you know, these are real popular now. Uh, I have not done it, be, you know, Someone told me that, you know, you're selling your DNA to the government, so I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But anyway, let's, I want to start off with this hypothetical situation. So for you, let's say you did the Ancestry.com or, you know, 23andMe, and so uh, usually that gives you a lot of information about yourself, right? It gives you some information about where you come from or uh, what part of uh, ethnicity you might be from. Or just discover yourself uh, that you may not know. Now, hypothetically, wouldn't it be great, especially, I think, for some young 20-somethings or teenagers, wouldn't it be great if part of that report, based on your DNA, they would say, hey, uh, this is what you'd be really great at, right? Like, based off your DNA makeup, like, you could be, like, the best runner in the world. Like, wouldn't that be awesome information? Like, maybe for some of you, you could get a report back and just say, hey, you could be really good at spreadsheets, you know? Like... If you devote your time and energy, you could be the best Excel spreadsheeter ever. And some of you are like, yes, amen. You know, there's some of you. You know who you are, right? You love spreadsheets. Pivot tables, right? It's all good. Maybe you get a report back and says, hey, uh, you could be the best uh, singer in, in, like, in the United States. Best pickleball player, whatever, I don't know. Wouldn't it be kind of interesting and awesome to say, based off your DNA uh, and doing a scan of you, that they would say, hey, this is the best uh, potential that you have for your life. Wouldn't, wouldn't you guys want some of that? Like, I think I would. I think it would be great to know. But I think all of us would agree that it's more than DNA that determines our potential, isn't it? That's, that we as, a, as humans are more than a DNA, that uh, that's the whole nature versus nurture argument, that we are a sum of our experiences and uh, our habits and that sort of thing. We aren't just DNA uh, individuals, that we are people that are formed and shaped by a lot of different things. We are formed and shaped by experiences or things that have done, been done to us. We're, we're shaped by our family of origin and uh, who our parents were, or, or even those situations of, of our upbringing, whether that's a positive or negative. We've all been formed and shaped by something, and that's what we're kind of talking about with discipleship. And based on some of that formation and those experiences, it can determine our potential. It can determine what we are capable of doing. And so this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about potential. As humans, and based on some of that formation, we have, uh, as humans, the capability of doing incredible things. Do we not? Like, we have, as humans, we can, we, like, just think about the inventions of, like, like, AI technology and, you know, rockets and all these different things that we have the capability and potential to do. 
And then we also have the potential for doing lots of really dumb stuff, don't we? Like, is anybody else, like, uh, as a married couple, do you just go to bed and then see, send each other reels of, like, people doing dumb things and then laughing at it? Like, we have a potential of doing not some great things. We have potential for uh, being, uh, bringing good in the world. And we have potential for bringing lots of evil in the world, don't we? We have the potential uh, to be formed in such a way as we look at our world that we live in and you see some individual, uh, individuals do just horrendous things, you're like, how can someone get to a place of that, right? To bring, have so much potential for good yet use that to bring evil and death and brokenness from Holocaust to genocides to racism to bullying. But as followers of Jesus, right, uh, we see that we now have this newfound potential, that by following Jesus, we can be transformed, and whatever limitations our world may have placed on us, those get blown up as we follow Jesus. And we have this potential to not only, not to be something great, but to bring a lot of good and joy and peace into this world. And I like to think about Peter, uh, if you like the life of Peter. Peter was a guy who was just, uh, just an ordinary fisherman who'd probably never left his town. He, he may occasionally went to Jerusalem. And yet Jesus' invitation, and it's the same invitation for all of us, right? Come follow me, and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Jesus saw this potential in Peter that I'm gonna take you as just an ordinary fisherman, and I'm gonna actually make you a leader of my church. That's quite the potential, isn't it? Change of um, an outcome in life. Now, I know some of you are like, Johnny, this sounds a little self-helpish, right? Doesn't it? Like, potential and transformation. Like, doesn't that like, seem like a book from the self-help book, right? But here's the thing. This is, not self, this is not a self-improvement project. This isn't a matter of how to harness your potential to be a powerful force in your life. This, isn't, this idea of following Jesus is not this, this self-improvement project, it's, it's a resurrection project. When we give our lives to Jesus, what we just witnessed here, it's an example of this idea of what Jesus can do when we, when we give our life to him and say, Jesus, will you be the ultimate former and shaper of my life? I'm gonna choose you and follow you. Jesus said this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This word deny, it actually means to disown. It means to refuse to recognize the original source involved. So part of this idea of transformation, of us becoming more like Jesus, it's this process of Jesus said, whoever, it's this broad invitation, anybody can come, follow me. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done. You're welcome to come follow me, but it's not gonna be, the transformation is not gonna be a source from you. It requires a denial, this idea of refusal to say, this original source of my body, my will, is what's gonna transform me. I need something else. And what Jesus can do when, when you follow him, when you deny yourself to take up his cross and follow in his footsteps, Again, we get to see this potential uh, realized in our lives when we follow Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this, this is a quote, he says this. When Christ calls us by grace, 
We ought not only to remember what we are, but we ought also to think of what he can make us. It did not seem a likely thing that lowly fishermen would develop into apostles, that men so handy with a net would be quite as much at home in preaching sermons and instructing converts. One would have said, how can these things be? You cannot make founders of churches out of peasants of Galilee. But that is exactly what Christ did. And when we are brought low in the sight of God by a sense of our own unworthiness, we may feel encouraged to follow Jesus because of what he can make us. O you who see in yourselves at present nothing that is desirable, come you, follow Christ for the sake of what he can make out of you. Isn't that good news? Like, that what this idea of following Jesus, and I like uh, John Tyson said, that's Charles Spurgeon, that's not Joel Olstein, right? That is this idea that we what God can make of us, what following Jesus can make of us, the potential we have. And if you're following me, you're like, okay, so how? That's kind of where we're at in this, wrapping up in this series. So how? How, Johnny, can I be transformed? How can I be made into the image of Christ? How can I follow Jesus, excuse me, into wholeness? And we've talked about last week, it's a matter, again, of the transformation of the heart. I love how Dallas Willard uh, uh, quoted as talking about spiritual formation or the inner transformation. It is the tradition of Jesus Christ. It's the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or will. It is being formed, really transformed, in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. So again, how do we transform our hearts? That's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we do this? I mean, I'm a very practical person. Like, you got to tell me how to do it, right? You got to tell me the way in which we are transformed. So we, in this series, we started with our head. We started with vision, the importance of following Jesus' vision for our life. Last week, we talked about the heart. And I think this week, we're going to talk about our hands. How does this practically work out in our life? All right, so to talk about how, I first want to talk about how it's not, how, how this is not going to work in our life. And that is going to be through the way of trying. Anybody ever try stuff, like try to do stuff? Like we, we, we try to change, or we try to change things about us. And so uh, we, uh, I don't know about you, we uh, typically, we do this around uh, New Year's Eve. We begin assessing our life, we begin looking at our life. We probably feel some guilt about our life. And then we get some inspiration to say, all right, I want to change this aspect about my life. And so we get some inspiration. We probably usually buy something because, right, it's, you know, we get marketed all the time. If we just have this product, we can change our life. And so then we try to change. And so we try hard and we try hard and we try hard. And then I don't know about you, we get kind of tired and we start failing. We start not showing up to the gym. We start doing these things. And then you feel like a failure and then you quit is this just me? I'm like, I'm, I mean, any amens? They want to confess up to this? Like, we look at par- parts of our life, and then we just start feeling guilty again, and then the cycle kind of continues over and over again. Whether it's, I don't care if it's exercising, I don't care if it's reading your Bible, I don't care if it's praying, it's this element. We, uh, we, I think part of this is we look within, we try to change something about our life, and we try and we try, and then we feel guilty and we feel defeated and we don't feel like we're good. And this is the cycle that we can be in. 
And yet, if we think about trying, like imagine if you're, if you're a young 20-something, and you're like, I'm going to be an electrician. I'm going to try to be an electrician. How's that going to work for you? Like, I'm just going to start plugging in wires and like figure it out. If you're a woodworker, I mean, you can try it, right? We, we think, well, no, you need something else. You can't just try. You need something else. And what I want to talk to you and what my argument this, this is this morning is it's not our way of trying. That's not, it's going to transform us. But it's going to be in Jesus' way of training. It's following Jesus' way of training. Does anybody have like a trade job? Like anybody like an electrician or, yeah, there's some of you. You probably went through what? An apprenticeship of some sort, right? You, you probably did something where you were around people and there was, there was some instruction involved. You got some information, but then you went through this process where you saw somebody do something and then they had, hey, you try it out. I want you, I want you to, I'm gonna watch you do this. And they're going to give you instruction. They're going to kind of, well, I wouldn't do that way. You're going to electrocute yourself if you do it that way. Uh, try this way, right? And you, you do this in a communal sense with other people, and then eventually you become like your teacher, right? You, and then you go and you train somebody. That's like how this thing works. And this is the way of Jesus. It's the way of training, not our trying. And, and a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about this parable that Jesus told. In Luke 6, uh, verse 39 through 40, he told them this parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So there's a couple different ways they use the word training in this sense. I think it's really interesting that uh, the, the way they use this Greek verb is actually the same uh, as they use for mending nets. So if you think of Peter... You think his call to follow Jesus, most likely he was mending his nets, nets, he was fixing them, adjusting them, so that those nets could do what it could accomplish, its potential and its function. And yet, this is the same verb that Jesus uses when he talks about being fully trained. It means fully adjusted. It's, it's meant to adjust so it would be in good working order. The goal of this full training is reaching potential and its function like its teacher. So Jesus is saying, a disciple, a student, apprentice, the goal is, right, is to, to be adjusted, to be transformed, so that it can reach its full function like his teacher. And so it's all about Jesus' way of training. So we're going to look at how Jesus asks us to follow him, but then to be trained, to be transformed, to be like him. Paul, who was, again, he wrote most of the New Testament, picked up on this training language. I want you to, we're going to read this in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Paul's instructing this young pastor, this young leader. Uh, he's, he's training him to be a leader like him. And it's the same kind of language I want you to guys, I want you to pick up on. He says this, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Go down to verse 14. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. Do you hear that, that potential? Like you have this gift in you, Timothy. You have this potential. 
It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. He says, practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Do you see this progression of, of what, what Paul is trying to instruct Timothy? To be trained in the way of Jesus. And I highlighted a few words there. Labor and strive. Practice these things. Be committed in your progress being shown, being evident to all. Now Paul uses a different word of training than this. He uses the word that we get the word gymnastics. Um, it actually means to exercise. actually means to exercise naked. Now, some of you are like, I knew it. These, these, these vineyards are weirdos. They're like a nudist colony. I knew it. I'm out. Some of you are like, so I can exercise in my shorty shorts, right? Like, you know, um, Richard Simmons is biblical, right? <laughs> like, that's how should we should approach. And, and like, this is the sad part. You know, there's going to be some 20-somethings having to Google Richard Simmons, <laughs> shorty shorts, to figure out what am I talking about. And then we're going to have to pray for them afterwards. Um, this, is what, this is the way of the pastor, right? Um, why would Paul use this word that literally means to train naked or even, and it says to wear a loincloth? What, at what the heart would Paul say that for? I think there's this element in the words uh, that he would use elsewhere. He said, there's this need as part of our uh, training is to strip away stuff that's holding us back. If you're, if you're familiar in the Hebrews, it's, it's this idea that to cast off anything that, that bears weight in order to run the race that's ahead of you. Like, could you imagine like a football player in full pads trying to do a gymnastics routine, right? There's this element we need to, what I call the need for deformation, to strip away the things that hinder our transformation, um, whatever things that are holding you back. Maybe that's, I think, pride, independence, this idea that maybe some things have been formed and shaped in you that, that have said, like, I can't depend on anybody else. I have to only depend on myself. That, the, that, that whatever change is gonna come from me there's just been things that have been formed and shaped in us that we actually need to deform, to, to get out of our way of thinking, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see each other. There's gonna be hindrances that we need to deform as we follow Jesus. And I think there's an element too, this idea of stripping down naked. It's being, getting to a place where we can be fully vulnerable before God, that we don't have to hide anything we don't have to put on a mask. We don't have to put up this false self, this false pretense of who we need to be, that we can be fully ourselves before God. And, and we can, that is part of this idea, is, is creating an environment in our training that we come naked before God. God, here's all of me. If there's anything that is not of you, will you transform me? And the next part, not only a need for deformation, but there's also a need for formation to be formed Christ in us. He says this, uh, to train yourself in godliness. So godliness, I want, to, I want you to break down that a little bit because I think some of us just might think godliness in just in a moral idea of just doing the right things. 
But the actual words mean someone's inner response to the things of God, which shows itself outwardly in reverence to him. So it's, it's this inner formation, being trained to form our inner response to the things of God, to be, able to, to be able to be moldable and shaped and soft towards the way of God. And he says, when you train in that way, when you train for the inside, that's actually beneficial in every way. Like, I don't know about you, if you like working out, right, there's a benefit to that. But Paul says that's just a limited benefit, right? Like, if you have six-pack of abs and you have huge muscles, you know, I'm a little jealous, um, but I like donuts too much. Anyway, um, there is some, that, that's, that's, that has some value, but Paul says how much more value is the training when it gets done in, how much more value is that? When it's, when it's the, the essence of who we are in our hearts, it's, it's the way we think. He says, when you start training for that, that is beneficial in every way. Because guess what? That, that training you do has value not just for this life, but what? The life to come, he says. This is an eternal training, right? If, I'm sorry, if you get buff, like, I don't know how it works, if that muscles go into heaven or not, like, I don't know. All right, we get new bodies, so I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe that is. But this training has value not just for this life, but the life to come. So part of this uh, training is a need for deformation, deforming those things in us that prevent us, but also the need for formation. And again, the question should be, how? So how, Johnny? How do we train for the inner response? How do we train for our hearts? I want to read one last scripture, John 15. Jesus tells his disciples right before he's crucified, he says this, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. That word remain, what, what it actually means, is it's a kind of this imperative, it's a command. It literally could be translated, see to it that you stay present to Jesus and see to it that Jesus stay present to you. There's a part we play in this idea of remaining in Jesus. So how do we remain in him and remain in his love? We, we've talked about this uh, often of different uh, practices. So the, the, the how comes in the role of spiritual practices. These, uh, we talk a lot about these certain things and in certain times we'll talk specifically about certain practices. These are things we do in our effort to position ourselves so God can do what only he can do. Is that making sense? It's that spiritual practices are a means to an end where we are present to Jesus. We're present to his love. He is the source, right? So at the beginning, you heard this idea of we need to de deny ourselves, which is this refusal to say, hey, I need a different source besides me. Spiritual practices says that sort source is Jesus, and I'm gonna arrange my life so I can tap into that source. You guys with me? So I need to arrange my life and do some things that I'm going to position myself to tap into that source of life. So they're, an ends to a, they're a means to an end, 
to be with Jesus. And uh, I don't know if you heard this in this training to Timothy, it does require some effort. It requires us to do some things. It requires us to labor and strive, to be committed, to practice these things. Now, some of you are like, wait, this sounds like legalism, Johnny, right? But here's, here's what I want you to do. Legalism will say it's about the practices. What I'm saying, it's about Jesus. Does that make sense? Legalism says you are right with God if you do the practices. I'm saying it's all about Jesus. This is something we do in order to get to Jesus and to maintain and stay present to him. So that's out. I, I, I don't want you to hear, but, but these are Jesus' words, right? If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the very end of the, the summation of the Sermon on the Mount says what? If you put these things into practice, it's like your house, you're building the foundation on a rock, not sand. So there's a part we play. Now I want you to understand, salvation is all about grace, right? It's all about Jesus' work for us. Here's our maturity. It's about being intentional, it's about putting effort and commitment and faithfulness, about showing up, it's about positioning ourselves. And here's the thing. Um, I, I hear some of you are like, Johnny, I'm just, I'm tired. So you're just telling me I need to do more, I need to try hard, it sounds like try harder. What I'm trying to get you to is what you come to realize is you experience the easy yoke of Jesus. These are things we get to, to do. We get to be with Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal is, is we're saying I need a source other than myself. I need to be tapped into the source of Jesus. And any transformation is actually not a result of my effort, it's the result of grace. You guys getting me? Any transformation or any progress I make is not because of my effort, it's because of grace working in me. There's the famous uh, line Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort, but opposed to earning. Of practices, things we can do in our life that connect us to be with Jesus. And so as we put together our uh, discipleship framework, and we're talking about inner transformation, we need spiritual practices. I want you to go ahead and show that. So if we're talking about uh, inner transformation, becoming more like Jesus, that's why we need to cultivate practices that help in our life with God and in our life with others. This is how we bring transformation. This is how transformation, these practices. So real quickly, um, I'm gonna talk about a couple different types of practices, and then my goal is that we actually do a practice together this morning, okay? So there's two types of practices we need. We need practices of disengagement and we need practices of engagement. We need practices that slow us down enough to get present to Jesus. Uh, some of those would be, include you know, silence and solitude, Sabbath, having a daily quiet time, fasting. It's just disengaging from the hustle and bustle of the, of the world, all these different things, and it's just getting away with Jesus. You can see this model in the life of Jesus. Jesus often withdrew to be with the Father, and Jesus models this for us. I was, I was uh, in some of this research, I find random articles, and so one, one article was talking about uh, psychologists were doing this, uh, testing people's ability to, um, to handle stillness and quiet and solitude. And so they would uh, put them in this room where they could do nothing, they were still and they were quiet. The only thing that they had is they could shock themselves. And so, either sit for, I, I can't remember how long it was, like 10, 20 minutes. You could sit for 10 to 20 minutes or you could shock yourself 
Most people could not handle the stillness, the quiet, the solitude. So many of them would shock themselves. Some like multiple times a minute because they just couldn't handle being quiet and still. Just think about your, like, it's, it's hard, isn't it? To find quiet, to find the ability to be alone. But again, we need to be trained in order to do that so we can be present to God. And so there's all these different practices we can do to kind of just disengage. Sabbath is a great one, just taking time off uh, to not work. The other one is engagement. So some of you are like introverts are like, yay! And uh, some of you are like, I'd rather shock myself. And then, um, then this engagement, right, your introverts are like, I'd rather shock myself. Um, and you extroverts are like, yay! All right, so engagement, right? These are things we do to engage. It's worship. It's why we, we, we do this. It's, if you think of worship, it's just a practice. It's, it's something we are doing to connect with God. If you think about gathering Sunday mornings, getting around people, community, it's celebration, it's communion. It's these things where we are engaging with God. It's engagement with the scriptures. Yes, for me, so there's this disengage but engage. This is what the practices are all about. And so uh, my challenge for us this morning is I want you to think of rhythms, of the rhythms of your life. Uh, I don't know about you, if, uh, if you think of like a professional athlete, uh, or even if you look at your like high school uh, sports team, they, they have rhythms of training, don't they? They, they show up, they have practice at the same time. They, they've cultivated these rhythms that they don't even have to make decisions. They're, they're just, they've cultivated rhythms in their life. And I, and I think in the fall, it's super hard, right, to cultivate rhythms. Falls tend to be very busy. And so I'm just gonna encourage you and challenge you. What is one practice you can do on a, a cultivate a rhythm that helps you disengage and be with God? So there's a couple apps. You can, there's a, an app called the Pause app. It's a way you can do a morning and evening little devotional that's like 10 minutes long. You can create a rhythm of that morning and evening. Uh, there's an app called Lectio 365 that I often use. It has a morning and evening, evening little devotional. There's Bible app. Even if it's just doing five minutes of silence and solitude, just try that, that rhythm of that in your life. And then the other, second, the other uh, practice I would encourage you this fall is a practice of engagement, of engaging with others, of being in community. Uh, so you should have some form of a, a little handout on your uh, chairs. So these are different things that are happening at the church that you could call a, a rhythm in your life. Some of those are alpha groups, those are regular small groups, there's kids club, there's youth group. We, there's literally something every day of the week that you could cultivate some sort of rhythm um, in your life to be with people, to engage with people. Some of those are weekly, some of those are every other week. I would encourage you, if you are not connected into a circle, uh, here's the deal. So here's a list of all the different ones. If you want more information, they should be on the slat wall in the back, okay? So this is just a way to cultivate some um, practices in your life. And so this is what I wanna do. Uh, I was praying this morning and preparing and, you know, uh, so much of sermon is, uh, you know, trying to get information. It's trying to get you to motivate you to try to do something in your life, to change your life, to somehow you guys trust me and you're going to maybe hopefully do some things that I tell you, um, right? That's the hope of all this, right? But I was praying this morning and I sensed like, you know, it's one thing to hear about spiritual practices. It's another thing to experience them. 
And so my hope is, uh, we're gonna just do a little, it's six minutes, a little prayer exercise together, okay? Uh, it comes from an organization called Practicing the Way, and we're just gonna do this little prayer exercise about the window of our soul. And it's just gonna be a moment where all of us can connect with God. So let's go ahead and share that video. the window of the soul together. So wherever you are, make yourself comfortable, posture yourself to receive and be with God. And just to begin, breathe deeply. Breathe deep into your belly. Hold and breathe out. Just breathe as deeply and as slowly as you can just sinking into the moment. And with each breath, remembering that God is a loving father, a loving parent who abides in you, whose spirit is upon you and within you. And just focus, focus on that truth, on that reality, letting it sort of bleed into every part of your body soaking you to the full with God's love. As you're in that space, just sink down into your heart. If your mind's busy, you might like to practice the elevator. Just imagine sending your thoughts down into your heart as they become one. as you're just there in that place of God's awareness and love for you. Wherever your deepest place is, wherever you feel your soul abides, just imagine that there are French doors there, just in front of those deepest places of you. You might like to think about all the things in your life right now or in your heart that are sitting behind those French doors. Is it joy and optimism? Is it anxiety or grief? Is it numbness and distraction? What are the relationships and the situations that are within you behind those thoughts? Thoughts, experiences. Just paint a picture of your whole self behind them. When you feel ready, just imagine opening those doors up to God, slowly letting in more of His light, exposing, letting Him see all that is within you, the good, the bad, that you're proud of, that which you're ashamed of. Allow it all to be seen by God.
And now look to him. As you bring in your whole self, set your eyes on his heart of love and compassion and goodness. Give him consent to reveal his love toward you personally. Imagine his gaze pouring through the window of your soul. As you're there in stillness, just sit with God. Without agenda, just gazing at Him, gazing at you. Experiencing what it looks like, what it feels like to see and be seen by the loving God. You may feel something, but you may not, and that's okay. The point is just being available as God's available to you. Finally, thank God for his grace, for his presence, his availability, and his love, and for the time spent together. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Uh, what I want to end with, uh, how many find that like refreshing, just for six minutes, just to be still? Yeah, some of you. Isn't that... Uh, and here's the thing, um, you know, I, we're going to worship together with music and song, and, and I love connecting with God in that way. But I think uh, as, a, as a Western church, we've kind of made, like, you need this kind of experience in order to connect with God. But what I love about this is you can connect with God anywhere, right? You can connect with Him at home, uh, in the evening, in the mornings. And there's a picture in, in Jeremiah that talks about uh, Jeremiah used this analogy of, of two types of trees. Jeremiah 17 says, there's one tree that always bears fruit in season and out of season. There says the roots are down deep and they're connected to a living water. And he says, there's another tree that's like a shrub in a desert. And for me, how I picture this is a prayer that's been of mine is, Lord, I, I want to be a tree next to a stream, not a shrub in a desert. And one of the ways to do that is these practices where we're connecting to the source of living water. Would you guys stand with me and let us worship God?